we're doing this series called What Kind of Church? And we're just focusing on some of the things that we really value very highly as a church, which perhaps every church may not value to the same extent, but we just wanted to talk about some of those specifics. And here's the value that we, well, one of the values we love at King's Church is this thing in simple language, everyone involved. Everyone involved. All ages, all stages, all kinds of people um, involved in this thing called King's Church. Everybody involved relationally. Everybody involved in using their gifts. Everybody involved in using some of their money to make sure that this community thrives and functions and becomes what God wants it to be in this city and beyond. Now, I was, as I was getting going on this, I thought, it, 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 when I was a teenager, I, I'd just become a Christian and I was about 15 years old and our youth leader at the time in our church, it was a Baptist church, he said, he said, what would be good for the young people is to get them paired up with some of the really old people in our church and get the, the really old saints to t- teach them what they've learned over the years. So three of us got paired up with this guy called Steve Stevens. That was his name. And he was a former missionary pilot. And back then, when I was 15, I thought he must be at least 100. Now, he only died last year, so I think probably he was about 65, as I work it out. But anyway, he was full of the life of Jesus. He was like a 20-year-old at heart, but he, he looked much older. And the thing I loved about him, I only met with him about three times, was this, that he didn't try and pander to us as young people. He didn't try and get down with us and pretend to be interested in the things we were interested in. He used to sit down with us and he'd say, do you know the order of the books of the Bible? And we'd say, no. And he'd say, let me teach you a Bible rhyme about it. And he'd say, oh no. But do you know what? To this day, the way I navigate my way around the Bible is with that rhyme he taught me as a 15-year-old. And there was another occasion. I love people of different generations because they use language that we don't use. And uh, this is our second meeting. He says, uh, says, so do you boys know about the priesthood of all believers? I said, no. That wasn't a question we were asking. But for him, this was just like something that he was so excited about that he wanted us all to know about it. And he took us to a scripture that actually Luke looked at with us last week. And we're going to read it again. If you could put it on the the screen, please. And this was the verse. Talking to the people of God in in 1 Peter, the, the Apostle Peter talking to them. He said to this diverse community of people, he said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And what Steve Stevens, this old man, said to me on that day was, he said, it's not all about the person at the front. It's not all about the person who leads the singing. It's about everybody learning to know that they're priests of God. Everybody's a priest, Dan. And I, I didn't quite know the significance of what he was saying at the time, but I tell you this, it shaped my whole view of church. To understand this, that every single member of the Christian community has the power to change lives and to minister to people within the church and without the church because God has called us to it. Now, We'll come back to the priest thing in a moment, but what I'm saying today is, why I'm just prefacing that with a Bible verse is this, that if we just talk about being a church where everyone's involved, that can just sound like a cool cultural idea. Am I right? Because like, 
you know, everybody's doing it these days, aren't they? How often do you hear the, the, the phrase at work, let's just get round the table and talk about this? Or being part of a collective or a collaborative or a consultation. Let's gather the stakeholders. Everybody's doing it, aren't they? Nobody says, hey, it's a dictatorship round here and my way is the highway. Because that doesn't tend to go well in our kind of culture these days. So we can think, well, of course churches should be a bit like that because that's what the world does. But I want us to see this is deeply rooted in Scripture. This is the way God wants to build his church. And it's highly challenging for reasons we're going to see, but it's God's way. And uh, so this priesthood of all believers that uh, Steve Stevens, that he talked about to us based in that verse, there was uh, that, that phrase, priesthood of all believers, it, it, it came out of the Reformation. Martin Luther and others, they noticed that the church had shifted hundreds of years ago. And they noticed that the only people who were really doing anything in terms of teaching the word of God were, were people who were ordained priests. And people would come to church to hear what the priest said and to have the priest forgive their sins and have the priest tell them what God's will is and to explain the Bible, which was only available in Latin by law at that point. And he said, this is just not right. Every believer's a priest. Every believer's called to serve. Every believer's called to represent God to other people. And that's different to the old covenant if you look in Old Testament times, you'd, you'd find that, that there was a, a temple system set up by God, by Moses, where there was a group of people called the Levites. They were the priests. They were one of the tribes of Israel. And they didn't have any land. The, the other 11 tribes, they got given the land as their inheritance as they got into the promised land. But God said to the Levites, you're not to have land because you're going to service the temple. And you're going to make the sacrifices to God. And the people are going to bring their sacrifices to you and you're going to represent them. In fact, it went so far as to say that on one day of the year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, just one person, would go into the most holy place in the temple behind a curtain and he'd offer sacrifice for the sins of the people that they might be forgiven. And literally everybody else would be standing outside and this one spiritual person would be standing on the inside, him doing the work, everybody else watching. Now, that's the place that you can shift to if you're not careful in a traditional type of church or in a consumer type church where you think, oh, you know what, I think somebody up the front or somebody on the staff or somebody who's leading some person, I'm sure they will do something about this. And actually, when we have that mentality, we rob ourselves of the very promise of God that you and I are called to be those who minister God to one another. Is this an exciting idea? I think it is. I'm going to keep going. Right, here we go. So, the church is the people of God. And, you know, you, you don't come to church to see the minister, but to be the minister. You don't come to church to see the minister, you come to church to be the minister. So the church is the people of God. Now we're going to look at some verses in the New Testament to see how this worked out in practice. What did it look like for them to be a, a kingdom of priests, to be a, a, a place where everybody serviced the needs of others and, and, and used their gifts? Well, what we see right away as we read these verses, it's going to look very messy. So if you look in the Old Testament, you see a lot of order. You see who the priests are, 
who Aaron is, who the sons of Aaron are. You see the high priest, the, the priests, and then you see the other people. It's all very structured and hierarchical. If you were to read the book of Acts, like many of you are with our Bible reading plan this week, you begin to see it's just a bit messy. You think, well, is Peter leading it? Well, he is there, but he's not there. Well, James seems to be leading it there. Oh, and then the apostles get scattered, and then Stephen seems to be doing quite... It, it seems to be a very fluid kind of thing based on people growing in their gifts, the service they have to offer, the things that God is doing in that community and in different places. And we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 12, which is a well-known passage about spiritual gifts, and we'll see something of this messiness So this is verse 1. You can read in your Bible or it'll be on the screen behind me as well. The Apostle Paul's talking. He says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone it is the same God at work. So here's the big idea. One God represented in many different ways in the community of God. Now, if you've got hands, why don't you just um, put your hands up like this for a moment, okay? Because I want you to do counting, okay? Uh, This is Edinburgh. I think we can do this. Okay, so each time we read about somebody distinct being talked about in in this passage, I want you to just pop a finger up, okay? So now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one... There is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom to another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. How many did you count? Nine. Wow. This sounds complex already, doesn't it? He's just thinking about a church meeting with nine people distinctly involved in different ways already. Okay, let's go down the passage. If you're, if you're reading, then verse 28 Just keep those fingers up. We're going to go further. And God placed in the church, first of all, apostles. Prophets. I think that's slightly different to just prophesying. So that's... (laughs) Third, teachers. Miracles. Gifts of healing. We've had that one. The helping of... The helping... Sorry, gifts of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. How many are we up to so far? About 16, okay. And then, just in case we're thinking, well, surely, surely some of these must be lumped together. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues? The clear answer is no. Do all interpret, but eagerly desire the the greater gifts. Isn't this remarkable? The church of Jesus is to be a place full of the gifts of God. And today, he has blessed you. you know, if you're a believer in this room, you are gifted by God to bless and serve other people. Now, you might think, just in that verse, you might think, oh, he just said something that just sounded a little weird, which is, he said, he did first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers. You might think, well, isn't he just working against his argument there, saying, well, that 
you know, there's a, there's a gold, silver, and bronze of gifts that we really should be valuing. Let's understand what he means by that. Flick over to Ephesians chapter 4. Sorry to just be dousing you with scriptures here, but uh, we'll, we're, we're, there's a reason for this. Ephesians 4 verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If you wonder why Paul says, one, two, three, apostles, prophets, teacher, pastors, then then. The answer to that question is in Ephesians 4 there. He says, because those people are instrumental in raising up other people with the gifts of God. And if you don't have those people, then churches can remain immature in their gifting and people not rising up into their gifting. So here seems to be the point. He's not saying that teaching is a better gift than other gifts. He's saying is this, that if you're a teacher... The primary fruit of your gift isn't that you have thousands of people gathering to hear you preach on a Sunday morning, although that would be pretty good for my ego, to be honest. The primary fruit of a teaching gift is this, that somebody who regularly is exposed to that, when they find themselves in a situation with somebody in need who needs some truth shared with them, they say, you know what, I've got just the scripture for this. Let me help you with this. Just turn to this first. I think this is exactly what you need. Because teachers have trained the church to teach. Prophets train the church to hear God. Apostles train the church to be pioneering and outward looking. Pastors train the church to be caring. Evangelists train the church to be outward looking and to share their faith with other people. Let's look at one more uh, list of gifts before we uh, look at some of the challenges here. So Romans 12 is the other main gift list we read in the New Testament. Verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You'll notice he he mixes in what we deem supernatural gifts and just ordinary sounding gifts. Do you know there's no difference in God's sight between speaking in tongues and helping people and administrating and serving? These are all gifts that God values and are all needed to build the church and to reach the world. If you're looking for any, any other gifts that might be mentioned in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 7 mentions that your marriage is a gift from God, designed for his glory. It also says that singleness is a gift from God, designed for his glory. 1 Peter 4, 9 and 10, he says, practice hospitality, and he talks about in all your speaking and in all your serving, the grace of God being manifest. So there you go, opening up your home, serving anybody, speaking to anybody. Have I covered everybody in the room yet in terms of things that you might be involved in in your life? I hope I have. And if I haven't, don't worry, these, these lists aren't exhaustive anyway. So God has graced you to minister the grace of God to other people. And God has given us gifts to serve in our homes, in our workplaces, 
in other avenues, in the culture and the world we live in, and in the church. And we're going to do a whole series on work later in the year because I know that's a massive issue where many of us spend much of our time and how, how, what does that look like to express the kingdom of God in our workplace? We're not going to talk about that today. But what I want to do talk about is what this looks like in the church because that is something that we're all involved with together here. And the big question we have to ask is how? Because I think probably if I was to do a poll and say, has anybody massively disagreed with anything I've said so far? I think most of you would say, no, I think I'm pretty on board with that. You're saying churches are places where people get involved. You say, yeah, I've heard that before. Am I right? Sorry to have wasted your time. There we go. No. Uh, So the, the big question is how? How? Because this is challenging. Believe it or not, this is really challenging. It sounds easy, but it's hard. And you know how we know it's hard? Because the Apostle Paul bothers to teach into it in 1 Corinthians 12 as to why this is so hard and the challenges it presents you and me in being a church like this. And here's the first, I've got three challenges and I've got three uh, answers, if you like. So here's the three challenges, ignorance, isolationism, isolationism and independence in the way we view things. So here's the first one, ignorance. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1. It says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant. So here's something that will hold you back in being the priest of God that he's called you to be. If you're not, if you're not taught and understanding of what the gifts of God are and how they work. And part of that is that some of us here will say, well, I don't really know what my gifts are. And that can hold us back. To be honest, discovering your gifts is a bit of a lifetime of discovery. There's some gifts that God just gives us for free, just dumps them on us. Gifts of tongues, prophecy, healing, those things. You think, oh yeah, I don't know where that came from, but I've got it now. But other things, you think, well, they're drawn out over a lifetime. Some of them have have been there, even for us as as non-believers, we've had them in our past. I've I've always just had a bit of a thing. I've always been quite a caring person. I've always been good at sort of organizing stuff. And we come to terms with who we are and the value those things have in the community of God over time. Here's some questions that you can ask if you're wanting to not be ignorant about your gifts. What do you think God has said about your gifts? It's amazing. Some people have never really asked God. They've never really said, God, what are my gifts and how can I serve? It's a question to ask. Here's another question to ask. You can say to other people who love you and know you and say, what do you think my gifts are? And if they know you and love you, they'll give you some helpful feedback. Here's another way you can know what your gifts are. What things deeply, deeply frustrate you? Because when they don't get done, you get really stirred up about it. Because if the answer, because the answer to that question probably indicates something of your own heart and passion. If, if it makes you really, really cross that somebody vulnerable and in need isn't getting attention they need. And you think, why is nobody doing something about this? It could be that God's given you a mercy gift. And other people maybe don't have that gift to the same degree as you have, for example. So not knowing your gifts. Ignorance can also look like not knowing the measure of your gifts. It says in Romans 12, it says, if your, your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with your faith. That's to say, when you have a gift, you, you should use it with a measure of reality, with a, a measure of who, 
how much gift God's given you. And he'll give you different outworkings for your gift at different levels. And there's a self-awareness test in that. I find, I mean, I'm 47, for goodness sake. And here's the thing, I did one of these, um, you know, those work kind of um, team strengths type tests, online things, the other day. And I had to rate myself as to what I was really good at. Sort of, and there was one particular area, uh, implementation was the thing. And, and every time that question came up, I was like, I am so good at this. Nine out of ten was what I scored myself as. I then had to send the thing to six other colleagues in, in, in our church staff team. And they fed back, and they gave me four out of ten for the same thing. I thought, I mean, that didn't hurt too much. They were being kind, and they, they were giving me other people. But I thought, but is it, when I sort of listened, I thought, oh, that's right, actually. I'm not always good at getting stuff done. I'm often good at leaving a project that's just kind of nearly finished and just thinking, let's move on. And self-awareness is a gift from God. And if we're to operate in the gifts of God, we need to make sure that we understand the measure of our faith in the gifts that he has given us. Some of us think that our gifting is so small that it doesn't really matter whether we participate or not. D.L. Moody countered that with this argument. He said, if this world is going to be reached, I'm convinced it must be done by men and women of average talents. After all, there are comparatively few people in this world who have great talents. Isn't that true? Which would we rather have one super gifted person in King's Church or three gifted or ten gifted people or 500 averagely gifted people. I'd take the 500 average ones any day of the week because the potential for that is massive with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the second challenge is isolationism. So this is 1 Corinthians 12, after Paul's listed all those gifts that we read earlier. He likens the, the, body, the, the, the church to the human body and he uses this Fun example. He says, now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, what would the sense of smell be? In fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. It's kind of fun, isn't it? He's saying, imagine a body where everybody was a hand. That would kind of look kind of weird, wouldn't it? He says, but sometimes we talk ourselves in church life into this place where we say, you know what, everybody's a hand around here, and I feel like a foot. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like sometimes... Everybody else seems to be celebrating and enjoying different gifts than the thing that God has made you. I guarantee you will feel that at times in your Christian life. Now, the the danger point, as Paul says it in that verse, is, is you start saying things like this, I don't belong. I don't belong. I need to find a different church. I need to find a church where everybody loves feet. 
And then you know what? You end up in that church full of feet and a hand comes in and says, I don't get you guys, you're all feet. Now God has put the whole body together. He's put hands and feet and eyes and he kind of likes it being in tension and us having different things and different things we contribute. Now what holds that together? It's the understanding that this is how God's meant it to be. It's the relational nature of the church. It's the fact that we can actually sit together and be honest about the way we feel about stuff. We can sit in our small group. Maybe you want to do that this week and say, you know what? I dare you. If you feel like a foot in a small group full of hands, why do you just say it? And I guarantee the answer won't be rejection, but it'll be, I wish we had more of your gift. I wish this church had more of that. How can we bring that more into the heart of all that we're doing? It's relationship that holds it all together. If you're not part of a small group, I really want to encourage you. Because when you're not in relationship, it just exacerbates the differences. This is a church that only seems to care about that thing. There's only so much we can celebrate from the front on a Sunday morning, but there's so much that we can celebrate in community together. You know, sometimes you can feel like your personality is not a good fit. And how do gifts work with your personality? Well, it's about finding your place in the body of Christ. Often a conversation I'll have with people who are joining kings, they'll say, gosh, everything seems to be pretty slick around here. Nobody seems to have any needs. There's nowhere for me to serve or do anything. Do you know the conversation I have with pretty much every team leader and every small group leader in this church? They say, I'm just desperate for more people to serve in my team. And I'm trying to find people who could help and, and take responsibility in our small groups so we could start new groups. There can be a mismatch. So therefore, if you feel like there's nowhere for me to serve, then ask around. Ask some people, say, is is there a place where I could be more involved? So if that's the, the, the second danger of isolationism, which leaves you feeling like I don't really matter here, that's a demonic lie that you need to counter through relationship. Okay? Third challenge is this, independence. Verse 21 of chapter 12. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Here's the danger. We say that only my kind of gifts matter in this church. And... Whatever that thing that you're doing is, yeah, it's nice for you, but it doesn't really matter. That's another lie that has to be overcome with the truth. And he uses the example of the eyes versus the hands. And I think that's interesting because I think in church life, you, you, you get the eyes and the hands. You get the people who see and the people who do. You get the people who see the need, they see the future, they see the, the possibilities, the strategies, and you see other people who say, well, It's great that you see that, but we need to get something done around here. And, you know, we need each other. People who see need people who do. People who do need people who see. And we need to value one another. And he talks about the presentable parts, the less honorable parts. The presentable parts are our face. 
what he's saying is, you know, there's bits of the body which just always get the attention. And there's other parts of the body that never even get a mention, the unpresentable parts. Um, somebody told me once that the, the Greek phrase, talking about some internal organs, the bits that you never really see unless something goes wrong. We must resist independence. Anyway, so uh, ignorance, isolationism, and independence are the three things that we need to resist if we're going to be a church that celebrates and moves forward with all the gifts God has given us. Here's the three things that we must do. We must have a, develop a culture of inclusion, develop initiative and importance, a sense of importance of what we're doing. So uh, in- inclusion says, now you're the body of Christ and each of you is a part of it. God has given us apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, healing, etc., etc. Here's the thing we must believe, that I'm a part, not the whole. There's no such thing as an independent Christian who doesn't need anybody else. We must come with this humility every week. This is the thing that holds us in small groups, guys, is to say, not, not, am I, uh, not do I have time to go to small group or not do I have enough energy, but I need it. I need to surround myself by people who are different to me so that I can stay on track with God, who God's made me to be as a part of this body. We also develop the attitude of a learner. That's what it is to be included. We, we say, you know what, if there are other people who are more gifted than me, I'm going to learn from them. Here's the fifth uh, I, initiative. Be an initiative taker. So if you're going to grow in the gifts of God, you need to learn to take initiative. Some of us are just naturally a bit lazy or apathetic, and therefore we need challenging. Romans 12, verse 1, he says, I urge you, therefore, brothers. Paul is saying to the Roman church, he says, I urge you, I'm shaking you, do this, make sure you do this stuff. Paul said to Timothy, a young Timothy, he said, fan into flame the gift of God. Don't let it just die out. We must, must, must get hold of the gifts of God. It takes efforts on our part. Some people say, well, you know what? I don't do anything because nobody asks me. Did you read in any of the verses we read that anybody got asked to do anything? It's not in there. It's not in there. What you do read is the Holy Spirit gave this gift. The Holy Spirit distributed here. The Holy Spirit did this. You know, for most, most, most of the gifts of God, you don't need permission from anybody to do it. You just need to get on with the permission that the Holy Spirit gives you to do it. That's to say, if God's telling you to encourage people, go ahead. You don't need to ask. If, if God's giving you uh, promises to pray for healing, then you can get on and pray for people for healing. Now, sure, if, if you're going to start an entire new ministry and, and require sort of 50 volunteers or something, that's worth talking to somebody about because that, that affects the other things that we do. But mostly, ask yourself this, what is God asking me to do and how can I do it? Sometimes you can have a, a view that to, to push yourself forward is pride, but in fact, it's the very opposite. It's to actually say that you trust in the grace of God to use you when you step forward. Sometimes you can find yourself paralyzed because, well, I'm not skilled enough or expert enough. But let me refer you to the parable of the talents, where the person who said that, who was fearful and cautious with the, the coin he'd been left with, It didn't go well for him. 
God calls us to invest the things he gives us, even if they're small. And if we do invest them, he promises to grow them. Some of us disqualify ourselves because we say, well, I'm too young, I'm too old. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6, Jeremiah the prophet says, God, I'm too young for this. Verse 7, God says, no, you're not. Overcome. Here's the sixth and final thing. Sense of importance. Here's what happens when you have gifts. You can so love your gifts, you can lose track of the big picture. Uh, there was a uh, there was once, a, well, St. Paul's Cathedral in London is a very famous cathedral in the city of London. When it was being built by, uh, by builders back in the day, Sir Christopher Wren, who was the architect, he wandered around the building site and he saw a man building a little parapet wall or something. And he says, you, my man, he says, what are you doing? And this builder looked at him in total surprise and said, what does it look like I'm doing, sir? I'm building a cathedral. You know, when you use your gifts, you're building the glorious church of Jesus that is going to make his name known to Edinburgh and to the world. Never lose sight of it. Never make it about you and your opportunities or lack of them. Make it about him and his glory. It says in 1 Corinthians 12:1, nobody says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. All of the gifts of God are about lifting up Jesus as Lord in this church and in our city. So let me ask you today, are you, are you familiar with your gifts or are you ignorant? Are you in community or are you isolated? Are you honouring other gifts or are you being independent? Are you including yourself in community? Are you showing initiative and are you seeing the bigger important picture of what God is doing in the earth today? Because God's called us to be a kingdom of priests.